Today's program is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, a co-working and event space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Learn more at 100bogart.com. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meet in Three. I, I think we should realize that we more or less have a broken food system. When 800 million of us go to bed hungry, uh, 600 million are obese, uh, we waste 30% of our food, then something is fundamentally wrong. We'll introduce you to one food waste solution happening in Asia. They introduced this system where residents were issued an electronic ID card that would open an automated bin and enable them to weigh the food waste being dropped off. And then they would be charged, you know, in a certain amount of money yep. for the weight of that food. And we'll take a look at some of the real struggles happening closer to home. How is it possible that a meal that was perfectly fine to consume at 10.59 p.m. then becomes waste at 11 p.m.? So tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Good evening and welcome to Fun Men About, about it. it on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we're your co-hosts through this weekly journey of all things fermented. We are off-site, outside in the studio right now uh, at Fifth Hammer Brewing Company in our tap room, uh, welcoming our very special guest, uh, Scott Ungerman of Anchor Brewing Company. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to New York. Well, yeah. thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here. So you, how long have you been brewmaster at Anchor? About four and a half years I've been with Anchor. Cool. And how'd you get into brewing? How did I get into brewing? So I got into brewing um, really a long time ago. Um, I first toured the Anchor Brewery um, back in uh, in the 80s when I was in college. Um, oh, and um, it was what kind of inspired me to become a home brewer. Um, when, I first, when I first went there with a group of my buddies, one of, one of my really close friends and I, like a week later, went to a homebrew store because we were we were told there like we we asked a ton of questions and and of course we drank a ton of beer and and just got totally enthused about it and um turns out there's a homebrew store that's still there in berkeley um called the the oak barrel um where we we went in a week later and bought our first homebrewing kit and made our made our first beer and and for me, it was a hobby for quite some time. I was actually an English major um, undergrad um, at Berkeley, and um, I went and I, I got a job teaching high school um, right after college, and my mom sent me an article. I kind of knew I wanted to go to grad school, but I didn't know in what, um, and my mom sent me an article on uh, on the program, the brewing program at UC Davis, and that was like my light bulb moment of, wow, I could, I could go back to school, I could study brewing, and and uh, and that's what I did. Um, it took me a while to like. I, I went to junior college first in down in Ventura um, to take the prerequisites that I had avoided as an undergraduate, um, <laughs> and and got my myself into brewing school and really had the vision that I was going to get out of brewing school and kind of start my own brewery or, or you know live the dream in some way. But um, what happened was uh, life kind of got in the way. My wife got a promotion. Um, with her job while while I was finishing up graduate school that moved us out to the East Coast out here to New Jersey. 
um, not quite here, almost here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so moving into, into New Jersey in the mid-90s, uh, looking for a brewing job, there were not a lot of opportunities. Um, I got one interview from a, a couple who wanted to start up a brewery and wanted to pay me exactly nothing um, to help them start their brewery, and I declined that offer. Um, but I, I interviewed at the two big breweries um, that were available at the time, uh, Anheuser-Busch in Newark and Stroh's out in Allentown because we were smack dab in the middle of New Jersey, so I could go either way, but I uh, got the job at, in Newark and kind of never looked back. I thought I was just gonna work there for a couple of years, but it turned into a, a career and moved us back across the country, seven years in Newark, uh, two years in Columbus, Ohio, two years in St. Louis, and then wow. back to the West Coast, um, where I eventually became brewmaster of uh, the, the brewery in Fairfield, moved back to Davis, like wow. came kind of full circle okay. with them, um, but then, you know, I, I needed to get out at some point. I spent 18 years making Budweiser, um, which I, I enjoyed, and I learned a lot. I learned a ton, um, and became a brewmaster. One of the one of the you know 12 AB brewmasters in in the country at the time, and so I enjoyed that job. But I I, I was getting burnt out, and I it it certainly became more about making money than making beer once Imbev took over, right. and. I just wanted to get back to my roots, and the anchor job came open at exactly the right That's time, awesome. and and it was really just a complete leap of faith. And so for me, it's coming full circle to come back to anchor. I mean, I collected. We'll taste Christmas ale a little later, yes. and I collect. I collected Christmas ale bottles as a kid. Still do. And awesome. Yeah, yeah, and I brought I brought my collection back to the brewery. No way. That's how full circle it's come for me. So. That's do you remember an what awesome that, story. Do you remember what that first beer was with the, that you made uh, when you got that oh, brew kit? Yeah, yeah, we made a nut brown ale. A um, yeah, a nut brown ale, um, like Samuel Smith's kind of knockoff. Um, sure. It was delicious. It, 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 it was, that was like what got us hooked is that first beer was great. And then we had many failures after <laughs> that, but the first one like kind of got us hooked. It was, it was super delicious. I'm always fascinated by people's first beer because oftentimes we get... Oftentimes, brewers start to brew because they can't get a certain beer, or like you know, they, yeah. they brew outside of outside of the warehouse because they can't, can't be there. No, uh, this is mid '80s California. We were, you know, th we were awakened to craft beer. At the, I mean, I toured the Anchor Brewery, and yeah. so I mean, yeah. we drank Anchor Steam. That was our special beer. You know, we we drank a lot of Lucky Lager and generic beer and Wiedemanns and Schmitz and and Pabst and Coors and Bud and all that because we were in college and it was cheap, but. But when we were having a special event, it was Anchor Steam or or Anchor Porter. And how old was Anchor at that time, or how old is Anchor? Well, Anchor's, Anchor's been around in San Francisco since 1896. Since so, 1896. Yeah, it's 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 a storied old brewery. It really had a rebirth in 1965 when Fritz Maytag bought the brewery. Yeah. But but we trace our roots all the way back, and actually deeper than that. It was it was under a different name. The Golden City Brewer I um, was founded by Gottlieb Brickles back in 1871. And so one of the early steam beer breweries in, in San Francisco. And uh, then it transformed to Anchor Brewing when uh, two other German immigrants, uh, uh, Ernst Berruth and uh, Gottlieb uh, Schinkel? Otto Schinkel. Otto Schinkel. Got the names right. Gottlieb Otto Schinkel. <coughs> Otto. So it was one of the first, so 
It's one of the only steam breweries. What is steam? What is, yeah, what is, what is your name? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the beer you have in your glass hey, yeah. right now. Steam that's beer is Anchor one of my beer. favorite beer stories, and I think it's one, when I first started home brewing because it is a it's a it's an a American very, beverage. It's, yeah, I mean, there's there's really only two indigenous American styles. Now there are many more, but mm-hmm. but old school original American styles that that date back to uh, uh, now a couple centuries ago, right? Um, but steam beer. It, and cream cream ale, which obviously have in New York State, famous mm-hmm. cream cream mm-hmm. ale. I was actually born in New York in Rochester, oh, yeah. um, but never really been there. We moved away <laughs> when I was three months old. Oh, pretty. But, um, so yeah, steam beer is it's a unique California thing, it, and it got its nickname um, because of steam coming off the roofs of the brewery when um, they were cooling the wort in open cool ships. So um, put yourself in 1850s technology um, in California. There really, there was no beer making history, right? Um, the people who came out for the gold rush in, in uh, you know, thousands of people came to California in a hurry looking for gold. Not all of them were looking for the kind of gold you get in the hills. Some were looking for golden <laughs> golden nectar uh, that you could put in a, in a glass, you know. And um, the primarily, and, and this is true over much, most of the world, the German brewing technology has, has really what, what spread. And it's German brewers, and you heard the names of Gottlieb Breckels and, and Otto Schinkel and Ernst Baruth, those are Germans. Yeah. Uh, and they came out with, with visions of, of making beer. And, um, and there were many others. And, and they brought with them lager yeast from Germany. And they wanted to ferment their lagers cool like they did in Germany. And they were, you know, they had caves for um, aging beer there. And they had ice that they could store year round. These things didn't exist in California and the West Coast in the, in the 1850s, 60s, 70s. Um, so they had to improvise. And one of the improvis- improvisations that they did was to cool in, in open cool ships in the, in the nice, cool nighttime air in San Francisco, which is, you know, a balmy 60 degrees pretty much year round. <laughs> um, and then they would ferment in open fermenters. Uh, the, the nickname of steam beer was really from the, the steam coming off the roof. There's a couple other, there, it's not clearly documented really where the, where the name came from, but that was what they called California beers, steam beers. And um, after Prohibition, there were, like steam beer was basically gone, but Anchor Brewing opened back up and, and kept making steam beer in San Francisco and um, still with cool ships and still with open fermentation. And um, they were about to go out of business in 1965 when Fritz Maytag uh, bought the brewery um, for, for really uh, on the cheap. They were, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was a going out of business sale. They were, they were down to their last three accounts in San Francisco. And Fritz was served a beer and told, this is going to be your last steam beer. And, and Fritz didn't want to have that happen, and and he knew that the beer could be beautiful when it was beautiful, but he also knew that there were there were some difficulties with uh, consistency, and so you know one of the first things he did was he bought himself a microscope and uh, he bought himself a bunch of brewing books because he, he like me wasn't wasn't a brewing major undergrad Stanford he was a history major um, but he learned and and he studied and um, and. You know, he saved the style of beer from vanishing. In, in 1965, if, the, if that brewery would have closed, steam beer would have been a footnote in history. Yeah. But um, 
it's you know the unique thing about it and and uh, get, getting to what it is uh, the essence of it it's a lager fermented at a warm temperature in an open fermentation and so that's that's the most unique part about what we do we have this beautiful copper brew house when you come in and you see it it's, it's just a glorious place um, but when you go around the corner and you see those open fermenters that's the like mind-bending moment these hundred barrel open fermenters this beautiful head of foam over the top of them and it's it's that's the the beauty of steam yeah and you i mean i've there was no open fermentation uh, at, at Budweiser or at any of those plants, right? No. And so, and the geometry of fermentation acts a little bit differently with with that. So, what is the what are the differences in, in the shape of the of the fermentation? Yeah, shape is important. Um, pressure is important too. So, at at Anheuser Busch, we actually did have horizontal fermenters and vertical fermenters, and like you can taste the difference between a Budweiser brewed and a horizontal fermenter and a and a vertical. It's just the horizontal ones are much more estuary because there's less back pressure on the yeast. Now, think about an open fermentation that's only about two feet deep. Very little back pressure. Zero, practically. Um, So that open fermentation produces a super estuary profile, especially with a warm fermentation. I mean, that's what you get when you, you, especially as this beer opens up in this glass, you you, you smell those esters. You smell that, that Banana and um, a little bit of roses. And so you're you talking know, our language. Uh, so we know that that generally we're brewing even on a home brew scale. We're, we're brewing either with cylindrical things that are tall, more tall than they are wide. But in open fermentation, you want kind of shallow, yeah, and wide, super shallow. Yeah. So they take up a lot of real estate. Yeah. Right. Um, but we actually have two different styles of open fermentation. We have our um, the ones that we use for. Uh, steam beer and and lager um, are super wide, so they they look like they look like swimming pools, um, but they're only two and a half feet deep, um, and that's you know 100 barrel fermenters, and then we have the 200 barrel fermenters upstairs that are even bigger, but but wow. still super shallow with very little pressure on them. The ale fermenters we have an open ale fermenter that is more kind of a Yorkshire Square type of geometry, so a little a little steeper. A little deeper, um, and um, but it's we ferment those pretty warm, and so they also produce a nice estuary mm-hmm. ale. If you're, if you're familiar with Liberty Ale, yes. we brew that. Absolutely. Yeah. we brew that in those open <laughs> fermentation. And um, when we taste Christmas ale later, that's in open fermentations too. Um, awesome. I'm excited, excited to get that. What is talk a little bit about the differences, kind of the technical differences in open versus closed fermentation, as far as you know, yeast pitching or cleaning or just, yeah, cropping, that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, so um, first off, from yeast pitching, I mean, one of the the most astounding facts for me, actually the single most astounding fact for me when I came to Anchor was um, that the yeast is um, constantly harvested and repitched and never propagated from um, any kind of yeast lab or anything it's it's it's, it's, it's we are on yeah we're at thousands of generations um yeah. if you if you calculate every three days back to 1979 <laughs> um and and we crop that yeast um it's a true bottom fermenting yeast so the slope of the tank is very gentle on the bottom but then there's a trough in the center and the yeast settles in that trough um quite nicely 
So as a true bottom fermenting yeast that settles in the trough, you can you can harvest it by hand, and that's what we do. We have a little we have a little positive displacement pump and some hoses that go to the brink. But there's a guy who climbs in the tank um, and um, scrubs down his boots, obviously first, and then <laughs> you know he's walking in the tank. But the yeast that we're harvesting is in the trough, so he pushes that into the pump, pumps it into the brink, um, and then we store it there until our next pitch. Um, so it's just harvest and repitch. Everything's hand cleaned. It's um, tedious, wow. yeah. but it's you know there are, there are people who we have fermentation people who that's what they do. They clean tanks and they pump beer, um, and and the cleaning <laughs> is by hand. And that's they harvest awesome. yeast and repitch the and then the brewers repitch the yeast. That's awesome. And real quick, if I'm not uh, I'm not treading on any uh, proprietary secrets or stuff, but uh, this is a steam beer is. Is a lager yeast fermented at an ale temperature or a warmer temperature? Warmer. What we actually kind of cool. Are you dealing with? We cool to sixty degrees. Okay. So I have no problem sharing all the all the particulars. Um, <laughs> Fantastic. We cool to sixty degrees, and then the other unique property of our our tanks is there's um, there's no cooling jacket, so it is a free rise fermentation that is completely uncontrolled, controlled by the yeast and the air temperature. So we have we have cold control filtered room. Yeah, we control the room also at sixty degrees. Okay. So we, we we cool the wort to sixty degrees, pitch at sixty, and then it naturally warms up um, over a pretty quick three day fermentation to roughly seventy two to seventy four degrees, depending on the, the vigor of the fermentation. Sure. But, but they we have a temperature chart that we record and it's generally between seventy two to seventy four. So pretty warm. And then yeah. and then starts to cool down. And um, then it's, it's a two-stage fermentation. So we do that primary fermentation is open, relatively warm. We drop then down, is it in a physically a gravity drop two floors down to our cellar where we have closed tanks that are uh, pressure regulated and we actually croisen the beer. So we, we add um, roughly 15% of fresh wort and yeast that is, um, less than a one-day fermentation. So like the last brew of the day will be a croisin and it'll drop the very next morning. So it's just hitting high croisin. And you drop it in as a portion of the secondary fermentation and you close the tank up and the tank naturally builds up pressure and it's it's natural carbonation. Okay. It's it. And it's, it's a tried and true method that um, actually, that I'm very familiar with because Budweiser's croisin. Um, and so I was, astounded to see um, when I came to Anchor that it's the exact same rate. Like, Croizen at the same rate, at a different temperature, but at different temperature and time, but the same, that 15% is a magical number um, for Croizening, and and it really helps the beer um, age, uh, you know, very um, consistently. And it's one of the hallmarks of consistency of, of Budweiser is it, the beer finishes out the same. And so for Anchor Steam, we do we do the same thing. And uh, that was a, a, something that Fritz added to the process, um, you know, in the late 60s. He figured that out. And I don't, you know, I've heard him tell the story, but I don't, I don't recollect exactly where he got the, the notion the of poisoning. Yeah. But it really helped... Um, make the process very repeatable mm-hmm. so that um, croisoning is, is key to our process. And then we do a secondary aging of, of 12 more days for steam beer. Yeah. And that's also 60 degrees in the cellar. 
but it's actually a little warmer than that when it gets into the cellar, but the, the cellar is cooled at 60 degrees, so eventually it gets down to 60 degrees, and then on the 12th day, we'll cool the tank down to crash it. Right. So you're, you're jacketed in the cellar. But yeah, every yeah. tank in the, in the cellar has individual jacket and hookups for CO2, and they're all pressure-rated tanks and all that good stuff. Cool. All right, so we're going to take a brief break, and we'll be right back with more Anchor and Scott Ungerman. Come in a bit. One Hundred Bogart has made much progress over the past year since their grand opening. They are a growing community of professional freelancers, entrepreneurs, and startups. Their dedicated team guarantees you receive a productive and worry-free work environment. One Hundred Bogart is currently filling up their two-person to twelve-person private offices. The spacious pop-up gallery, premier rooftop, and brand new full floor with terrace are available for your next event. Podcast rooms, conference rooms, and meeting spaces are also available for booking. 100 Bogart hosts events like art exhibitions, pop-up stores, product launches, and fashion shows. Heritage Radio Network is a proud member of the 100 Bogart community and often holds events in the building. Visit 100bogart.com to schedule a tour and learn more. with Scott Ungerman, from brewmaster of Anchor. And let's see, he's going to open a Brewer's Pale Ale Citra Hot Blend. Oh, I don't think I've ever had this beer. Yeah, no, this is new. This is brand this. new? All right, This excellent. is new. So yeah, we got a couple of, actually, the next couple of beers that we have are very new. Cool. Um, and so we figured we'd talk about, you know, we talked the history of Anchor, and I'll lead into this with another history lesson um, from Anchor Brewing. Well, we we love phone. history lessons. Um, so that's mine. That's we're we're rinsing and uh, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're doing the glass. Oh, he rinsed. He rinsed. He rinsed. Yep. Okay, so that is rinsed. I am I'm pouring. Yeah. All right. So I'm pouring you a brewer's. <laughs> I'm pouring you a brewer's pale ale. But first, I'm going to talk about Liberty Ale, okay. um, because Liberty Ale is such a special beer, and we don't have any. But I'm going to tell you the story anyway. It is. Um, this is dedicated to John Nagley, by the way. Yeah. John's we have a, a friend. He's a Liberty oh, yeah. I have a Liberty Ale friend. Paul I have a Liberty Ale friend, and, and uh, it's funny. He's he's got like two beers that are his go-to beers, and it's Liberty Ale and Racer Five, which are not very identical. No, beers. <laughs> not, not, not at all. But they both but classics they, in their yeah, own Yeah, they're right. both, and and so that's like he starts there, and then he'll branch out. But yeah, Liberty Ale um, is a super important beer um, historically, uh, not just to Anchor, but to everybody. Really, and I'm saying everybody, yeah, mm-hmm. because it it's really the the birth of dry hopping in America started with Fritz Maytag in 1975 when he decided he wanted to uh, branch out and make a third new beer, and this is like he had owned the brewery for ten years at so this point. Third, and so there was steam and what were the porter? Steam and porter, okay, yeah. So yeah. steam and then porter and porter, yeah. I mean, if you look at so just where Fritz was. 1965 America, homogenous, golden lagers. Those ones that I listed that I drank in college, the Schmitz and the Wiedemanns and the Schlitz and the Pabst and et cetera. That was everything. Everything was the same kind of golden lager beer. They had their, their subtle differences, but 
not very much, right? And steam beer was this quirky little beer on the West Coast that is caramel colored and and fruity esters and a, l- a little more bitter, actually kind of a lot more bitter than, than a lot of those beers. But I think historically, like, those golden lagers in the in the mid '60s, mid '70s were in the 20 IBU range, not not as not as light on the bitterness as they are today. Budweiser's 10 today, mm-hmm. Bud Light's six. Wow, yeah. six. amazing. Six. Nick Ultra's three. Um, so we'll stop talking about those. Um, but anyway, that that like kind of sea of homogenous lager was what existed, and steam was so different. And then. Seven years into the into the uh, owning of, of Anchor, Fritz decided he was going to innovate, make a new beer, and he made a porter. So he went completely <laughs> the opposite direction. Like, I'm going to make something totally dark and different. And, and it was really the rebirth of a porter. Um, there were no porters being brewed in America. First post-prohibition porter made in America, Anchor Porter, San Francisco, 1972. Three years later, Fritz decided it was time to, to release a, yet another new beer. Um, think about that. How, how many new beers have you made in the last one year? And so, yeah, he waited seven years for the first innovation and three more years, and, and it was time to innovate again. And Liberty Ale um, was actually brewed on April 18th, 1975, to commemorate Paul Revere's ride. So the, the bicentennial was coming up, and people were all excited about that. And so this was like a precursor of the bicentennial, the 200th anniversary of Paul Revere's ride, saying the British are coming, right? And what was Fritz bringing? A British pale ale. Um, dry hops, too. Something that was another lost art and, and didn't exist. And so the birth of dry hopping in America happened in 1975 with Liberty Ale, and Fritz devised a method um, that he had only read about in books, you know, because nobody was doing it. And so he had to come up with the, the concept, right? And so we've made this beautiful beer ever since then. And it's a wonderful beer in its own right. But um, by modern standards, it's not all that hoppy. It was the hoppiest right. beer in America. <laughs> it was the hoppiest beer in America in 1975. But we dry hop it at about a half a pound per barrel. Half a pound per barrel, yeah. Half and, a pound per barrel. And think about and that. All, and is it a single hop? Yeah, it is. Cascade. It's all Cascade. And it's at the two time, row and Cascade. It's, Cascade. it's essentially, it's a smash, right? right. Um, but yeah, Cascade was brand new. He introduced how the Cascade he, hop. How did he get Cascade? He, the, hop, the hop growers, he had relationships with, with hop growers because he would go up there and, you know, he bought his own hop. And, and um, up until that point, it was all Northern Brewer. I mean, that's what's in steam. That's what's yeah. in border. Yeah. Um, we, we started using Nugget and Steam in the 80s, but it, it, it was, back then, Anchor Steam was a single hop as well with Northern Brewer. And, and one of the hop growers, I don't know which one, I wish I did, but um, said, Fritz, we've got this, this new hop variety we're working on called Cascade. And Siegel? He smelled it. It might have been. We still buy Siegel. hops from, from Siegel. Yeah. And we still buy Cascade from Siegel. So um, it may have been John Siegel. Um, yeah. Again, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll give a shout or out to John. His family, yeah. Yeah, um, but that was the introduction of the the Cascade hop, and Fritz smelled the Amazing. hop, and and that was what inspired him yeah. to dry hop. He's like, I don't want to lose this in the kettle. Right. I, I need to put it on the cold side, and so he he devised a method, basically mesh bags um, in the tank, aging on top of them. And these were a pack whole. 
cops at the time. Whole, 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 still are. Still yeah, are. still are. Still, Liberty is still made with all whole, whole cone hops. And oh, all of our beers, we, we hop in the kettle with whole cone hops. Um, but that brings us really to today and with Brewer's Pale Ale. And Brewer's Pale Ale is, is kind of a revolving hop blend. Um, this is our second iteration. We came out earlier this year with uh, a Nelson blend. This is Ooh. the Citra blend. And so this is you know, our take on a modern pale ale. Uh, dry hop much more aggressively um, with Citra and a, a blend of some other hops in there. There's some, some El Dorado and... Um, but just um, to lift the citra, right? Yeah, 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 to lift the citra. There's, there's actually some Cascade in there, too. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a nice, tasty beer, it's and it's, it's yeah. drier and lighter, a yes. little lower alcohol. Than, Super drinkable. Yeah, and, and that's the idea behind Brewer's Pale Ale is that we, we ask our brewers, what do you want to drink? What do you want to make? Right. And they want to make a beer they want to drink. Yes. And they want to make a beer they can drink all day, because that's what brewers do. I mean, that's why you got into this business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, this, so the Brewer's Pale, is that available naturally as well? Yeah. Like, it is. And, and you say it's rotating with the, with the hops. Yeah. How often do you change? Um, this is the second hop blend. So we, we, we released the first one like six months ago. So every six months is, okay. is kind of what we're going to We've already got an eye on uh, Galaxy for the next blend. Uh, like that. Because you, you can get, get it. it right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It got, we've got some Galaxy coming. Yeah. So, actually, we have it. We already have it. It showed up. This is this is this is delightful. It's really yeah, it's a it's you know it's a it's a crisp, drinkable pale ale, yeah. but with a with a hot pump. You and know. And what's the ABV on this? Five point three. Five point three. Yeah. And mm-hmm. in perspective, like you know, starting with point five. Uh, or half, half a pound of dry hops in, in a 1975, where are we at now with this one? This is right around two and a half. Around two and a half, yeah. yeah. We right. find that to be kind of our sweet spot with our technology. Yeah. Um, we've, you know, the mesh bag technique was what we used for years, and it's, Anchor did not make an IPA until 2013. So... <laughs> We had Liberty Ale. Yeah, and that, like, that Liberty was, Ale was, that was a, the original IPA. Yeah, yeah, it was the original, goddammit. And that, yeah. that was kind of our stance. That was definitely Fritz's stance. Yeah. I'm not getting into this IPA thing because, you know, we make steam beer and we make yeah. Liberty Ale. And, started that. And, uh, but we decided in two thir- 2013 that we were going to make our first IPA. And, um, you know, it, it, you always learn by, by doing things. Um, that sometimes don't work out all that well. Sure. And that first IPA, it was, it, was, it was a really nice beer, but one of the things we learned was just putting in more bags doesn't really, and more bags of whole cone hops, it, you right. get diminishing returns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you lose a lot of beer. Yeah. yeah. And that yeah, yeah, and yeah. that was one of the drivers for, for getting, <laughs> getting new technology. Yeah, because <laughs> the bags just, they swell up full of beer. And they also, they'll form a dam, because we have horizontal aging okay. tanks. Um, so they'll form a, a literal dam mm-hmm. in front of the outlet of the tank, mm-hmm. and beer gets stuck behind them, and you can't get that beer out. And so you lose beer um, in the hops, and then you lose beer behind the hops. And uh, we, we decided, and, and you don't get quite the aromatic pop um, by just adding more and more hops. Um, mm-hmm. So we went to a, a flow-through technology that, that we... Like that, yeah. cool. Got inspired by our friends up at Sierra with their torpedo, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, we we built something similar, um, but we kind of reverse flow. But it's basically something we can pack full of 
hops and uh, we use cones and pellets now cool. in that because it, you can really get them densely packed in there and then and so you send flow, it through and, flow through and then you leave it in there and then it, yeah research um, we'll do a 48 hour research mm -hmm. um, that turns the tank over a couple of times and then those hops after 48 hours um, we'll press the beer out and drop the hops out if we want to double dry hop it like we do for this beer We'll load another load in there and mm -hmm. do it again. Cool. So. That was among my next questions. So it was like the the idea of single charge with twice the amount, or like you know the double dropping, and how much contact time you have found to have been a sweet spot for, for us. Forty eight hours yeah. is is what's working. Uh, we've yeah. done some seventy two hour ones, and and we feel like you kind of start to get it gets a little grassy, herbaceous, um, yeah. and especially because we're using pellets and and leaf. Um, yeah. But then we're using some cryo hops now too, so we, you know, kind of got that intensity. Yeah, yeah. This beer has some cryo hops in it. Cool. Yeah. What do you? How do you? How do you feel about cryo hops versus pellet hops? Um, in your you know, it's just another. It's a form of pellet. I mean, it's it's concentrated and it's naturally concentrated. I actually like I like the concept. Um, I've been to the pellet plant and seen what they yes. do and mm -hmm. and. You know, all they're doing is getting it cold and shaking it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's, and it works. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. Um, so we've been using those increasingly. We in, found that in our new beer. That alone, it's not as successful as, as, as yeah. It, as long as it yeah. supports other. Totally agree. That and that's that's too. where, you know, definitely we we use a, a blend yeah. of hops, yeah. and that's why that one's called the Citra Blend because yeah. we, we've got a blend of hops and. And uh, the next beer we're going to taste is our IPA, our newest IPA, uh, Fogbreaker. And that's got a blend of, of hops that includes Citra Cryo. Right. So we're using oh, cool. Citra Whole Cone in this um, awesome. with, some other, with some other hops, some Simcoe and some, uh, a couple other things. Um, and then... Try to do this quietly. No, it's no, fine. It's <laughs> Sound there it is, right out. Yeah, sound effects. Natural yeah, Here's sound another sound effect. <laughs> Real. There it is. That's a good one. That is everybody's favorite sound effect. Because it means more beer. So this is Fogbreaker IPA. So an IPA dry hop, same method, using um, what we call our taco cat. Taco Cat, that's Mary's favorite thing. Taco Cat's, is Taco Cat spelled backwards? Taco Cat, and that's exactly why. So, as I said, we um, we visited our friends up in, in uh, Chico uh, to look at their torpedo process. Um, and within five minutes of being there, we're like, well, we can't do that. Um, because they, you know, they just got a lot of space there. Yeah. Chico's wide open places. Yeah. Have, you, have you been to that brewery? Uh, no, uh, but it's I've, a it's a I've beautiful bird. I've heard the tale um, of more yeah. space. In, like, yeah, it's just it's, it's wide open, and yeah. so they can move around these giant torpedoes with ease um, and dump them outside and all that. And we have a, a very cramped, you know, we're in a city yeah. and um, we don't have a lot of space, and so we needed to design something that did essentially the same thing: flow through hop, hopping. Um, so we worked with uh, Mueller out in. Uh, Springfield, Missouri, who who they were recommended, they built some of the torpedoes, and, and we told them what we wanted, and they came up with uh, uh, basically it's a repurposed uh, hop back, so designed for the hot side, but we're using it on the cold side, and um, it, it comes in with 
tangential flow into the thing, and then you can bleed out the space and press the hop, press the beer through the hops. Um, but it, it's essentially the re reverse flow of a torpedo. So we called it quite cleverly. We thought the Odeprot. <laughs> Odeprot. Odeprot. <laughs> Torpedo backwards. backwards yes. Yes. <laughs> if you look at it in a mirror. And so we thought that was a funny name. And, and um, somehow we really thought it was a good idea to release a beer called Odeprot. Um, and we also didn't think to ask Sierra whether they thought that was a good idea or not. And and then, oh yeah, then, yeah, then things happen. Maybe then, not so yeah. then we got a letter. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, from Ken. And you're not a very first. nice letter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, we had, it was just a limited release, one-time thing. But we, yeah. we realized that if we can't call it Odeprod anymore, we got to rename it. So we renamed it Taco Cat because Taco Cat is the same backwards, and we figured we wouldn't get in trouble. Yeah. And we haven't yet. That's but good. we're not going to name a beer Taco yeah. Cat. Fair either. So tell us the fog breaker then. This, is, this has Citra Cryo. Yeah, it has Citra Cryo and um, a couple other hops in there. Um, it's, uh, you know, the idea, if you look at it, it's not a hazy IPA. Mm -hmm. and, and the funny thing is um, we just opened our tap room. I was telling you, your, your brewery looks a lot like our pilot brewery across the street. Um, we opened this beautiful tap room and um, we're making now a new beer every week because that's what a pilot brewery does, right? And, yeah. and selling it directly <laughs> to the public and we're making tons of hazy IPAs um, because that's what people want. You know, it's not the Can only thing the we're making, on. but you got to, I'm sure you got a hazy IPA. Yeah. A couple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we came out with this beer in the springtime last year um, and, and we actually called it... Um, Pineapple Express when it when it came out because we had that's the the storm systems that come in from the South Pacific in in the springtime that just dump rain on the West Coast and um, and we made this beer and and intentionally not a hazy IPA you know because we had made like three hazy IPAs in a row and it was time okay. to make something not hazy and this one just s smelled like when you open one of those cans of pineapple juice to me um, and that. That's that. I, I believe it's a Citra Cryo. I mean, we've 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 got, like I said, a couple other hops supporting it in there, and and I think that's really important. That that same thing that you said. The Cryo hops are nice, but can't use them just that. You got to have, and so it's balanced out with some um, Eureka and um, Denali. Denali. Oh, Denali. Denali. Denali's definitely in there. Um, and, and distinctly pineapple on the nose to yeah, me. For sure. mm -hmm. and, and distinctly not hazy. And so that's the, the name Fogbreaker um, came about cutting because through fog, cutting yeah. through the fog. Yeah. And Potrero Hill, where our brewery is, is actually the sunniest spot in San Francisco. Um, there is a lot of fog in, in our mm -hmm. city, uh, especially in the summertime. So came out in the summertime, um, actually September, so the end of the summer. San Francisco summer. Yeah. It's actually not foggy there now. So October's the nicest month. I, I, I like it. It's my favorite month here, too, I think. What's the ABV on this one? Um, it is 6.8. Cool. So, yeah, it's up the like ladder a little bit. This is crisp and dry, uh, too, though. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really we nice. Dry it, we, we, we've been um, working on our mash portfolio, or our mash profile to, to dry out the beers 
Um, these specifically are yeah. our, our pale ale and our IPAs. Um, we do have some other beers that have some sweetness and some roundness to them, but you know that I, I believe in this style of beer. Yeah. You know that that dry, um, slightly biscuity note really plays well with with a big bouquet of hops. For sure. Yeah. Are you doing a single infusion mashes then for, for most things? Um, so we have a temperature profile mash. So okay. we'll, we'll come in at um, a protein rest temperature down around, you know, 115, 118, mm-hmm. and then ramp up into the conversion zone, um, which it's, it's a little quirky because our, our temperature is... Um, it's not controlled. It's controlled by humans, okay. <laughs> and okay. uh, yeah. with a with a valve like a steam valve that is <laughs> an actual an actual <laughs> wheel actually, valve like that, and then there's a temperature <laughs> gauge that they're looking at. Yeah. yeah, and so, and so it's, it's, is it we come in a little low. Oh yeah, it, no, it's got no, a it's got a, it's got a big beefy agitator. Okay. Um, awesome agitation yeah. so it stirs the hell out of it and it's steam jacketed uh, it's 1950s technology though it is a, a human opening a valve and watching a temperature probe yeah. come up and then closing the valve and expecting like a two degree drift up so we we set our conversion temperature at 145 knowing that we're going to drift a little bit right, up, right, right. You know, and and have traditionally fairly short conversion times but we've opened them up to longer conversion times for these beers. But it's all still, I mean, just all malt. Um, we've made some double IPAs and things that we've added some dextrose and things like that. But And we made a Mexican lager where we added some flake, corn. Some flake corn. But nice. pretty much traditional brewing practices on the floor where it's, I mean, you see the picture of the brewer there stirring with a paddle yeah. that that actually happens like we'll yeah. dump the hops into the kettle and and you gotta make sure they get in there you gotta yeah. you gotta stir with with the big wooden oar yeah, yeah. awesome and your guys are doing uh you've got your thousand generation old uh lager yeast for the steam um, mm-hmm. do you have a single uh, yeast strain that you're using for the lagers or for, for the ales or are you pretty much we we've um traditionally we've we've had the the one lager strain and the one ale strain um we'll bring in some different yeasts if we're like doing a saison or or something we'll bring in a kind of limited time yeast um san francisco was an ipa that we made over the summer like our summer seasonal um a fruited ipa with uh with apricot and peach and a whole lot of hops um and we used a different we used a blend of our ale yeast and sactois are you familiar with that one? Yeah, yeah and it, it was it's, it's delicious. We didn't bring that beer. Sorry, so, just talking about. It. So you can still not, find like, it out there. <laughs> We've been toying with uh, with fruited, fruiting beers, and uh, you know we have some things that are just taproom only, particularly because with the stability, we're putting some mm-hmm. fruit in sometimes after after fermentation. We yeah. won't even give crowlers out because we don't trust the the, yeah. the volatility of, of that thing. So, uh, at what point are you doing kind of some of these fruit so additions and dealing with that? So we do the fruit addition for that beer actually in the same in the taco cat. Um, we, oh, we can throw fru- okay, cool. puree into that and then recirculate and it, it just so infuses. And so that's in our secondary okay. fermentation. Okay. Cool. So yeah, we, we ferment out the sweetness and then we, we also, we flash pasteurize. So okay. we don't have yeah. that concern. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So we flash pasteurize everything that we package. Cool. Um, sorry. That was me. 
<laughs> I just kicked, I kicked wow. the crown. So now for the uh, oh yeah, for the, the grand, now here we go. The, I'm so excited time about for this Christmas. Show. This, this is, is a yeah. classic. Everything. Yeah, we're fast forward Christmas. yourself into the holiday season. I know Halloween's not even here yet. Yeah, but let's get to Christmas. Every day is Christmas. Every day is Christmas. So this is this beer is legendary and, and I mean, we'll let you yeah, talk there about it. There it is. This is yeah. this has such an impact on all of us as brewer, old school brewers' life. I mean, just the inspiration and the, and the fun and the flavors and the aging capabilities of this beer are just awesome. Awesome. Great awesome. intro. Because one of the things <laughs> I'm going to talk about, one of the goals that we've had. So so for me, you know, coming to Anchor. Um, there's sound effect again. Um, Coming to Anchor after, you know, having this reverence my entire life, and especially a reverence for Christmas Ale, to be, you know, suddenly in charge of making Christmas Ale, to have that, to have that put upon me, right, is, is a huge and uh, daunting task, right? Like I have this beer, yes. I can't screw it up. This is really like, to me, this this was this was amazing. And so the first year in 2014, when I joined the company, I just kind of sat back and watched, right? Like I, I joined uh, Anchor in April, and I had been there literally a week, and we were talking about Christmas sale, yeah, in April. Yeah. Like, wow. Uh, somebody mentioned it's time to start thinking about Christmas sale. I said, okay, <laughs> right on, let's go. Um, and and so I just sat back and watched, and um, and it was for me magical and interesting. And uh, you know, Mark Carpenter was still the brewmaster when I when I came on, and I had a nice long transition with Mark, um, where I was kind of in charge of more just like the production aspects and Mark was still the brewmaster and then he fully retired, he was semi-retired and he fully retired and become brewmaster emeritus uh, like a year later. So I had a, a full year overlap that, that's um, awesome. and, yeah. and handoff with, with a guy who had been Fritz's right hand man since the late 60s. Wow. Like that's a good 36 good years of brewing experience, yeah. you know, just an amazing amount of time. Um, or more than that. I don't even know how many years that is. I can't even do the math. I should be able to, but then I have to tell you how old I am. Let <laughs> me see. That's what I was too. Um, but uh, learning what they did for Christmas Ale all those years and seeing how every year the new recipe builds off the last recipe. Yeah. So that's where, that's where it starts. What did we do last year? Okay, what are we going to take out? What are we going to put in? And it's always a secret, right? So mm -hmm. uh, I know people, you know, who who really revere this. Like they enjoy the secret. They don't want to be told yeah. what's right. it, but they definitely want to guess. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's <laughs> but um, and it's funny because it, it, people ask me, well, can you tell me about what was in past Christmas sales? Um, yeah. And and then I'll you know I'll, I'll give up a couple. Of, well, we don't use orange flower water anymore, okay? <laughs> so, <laughs> and we, they tried frankincense once, and it didn't work out so well. The frankincense year, I forget which year it was, but... Uh, but this has been made consecutively for how many years? This since this, this 1976. Straight since 1976, awesome. yeah. Yeah, and so I actually have that first bottle. Like, no I had way. that... It, it was one of the few bottles that I had in my collection that wasn't from my dad. It was from my sister's friend's dad, yeah. um, who was, like... Um, 
kind of unfortunate circumstances. He like got kicked out of the house. They were getting a, a divorce, and his beer bottle collection and had to go. And I, yes. she was like, "Do you want to come over? And do you want any of them?" And I came over, and and I I, I said that Christmas sale, hell yeah, I want that. <laughs> yeah. So I got a 1976 Christmas sale from uh, from Ralph Kling. Shout out to Ralph. Shout out to Ralph. No longer with us. Sorry, Ralph. Um, yeah, cheers to Ralph. Um, anyway, the Christmas sales of, of my youth um, like inspired me. Like this, that that trip that I made to to anchor in 1987. One of the most amazing things was it was during um, it was it was definitely I think it was in November um, because they had that year's Christmas sale and they had the previous years and we got to uh, taste both of them side by side. That's and cool. that for me was like. How cool is that? We got to taste the 87 and the 86. And 86 was a, a remarkable year. Still, still, like, people call out, like, the old school the people. 80s, the like, 86. And th there was a guy who brought some by the brewery um, a couple of years ago, like, 86, that he found in his, in, oh, in his, in his grandpa's yeah. basement or something like that. And it was just terrible. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> beer doesn't yeah, age. Beer doesn't yeah, like no. Not in grandpa's basement. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it tasted like shoe polish and, and sherry. <laughs> And and my you know my grandma's ashtray, um, <laughs> all three of which are yeah. delicious. <laughs> yeah, well, no, yeah, it's just right. nice. Um, <laughs> but it is you know the the aging of this beer is is really important to us, and it's one of the one of the things we've done over the last few years, the last three years, is really focus on what's this beer going to age like, and how are we going to make it age better. And so one of the things that we did, just a simple technical thing, was really rather easy. We, we upped the alcohol. So it had been 5.5 forever until three years ago. And then we went up 6.5, 6.7. This year it's 6.9. Um, so it's, it's a bigger beer. Um, but this one is really kind of a throwback to some earlier Christmas. Down on the spice note, up on the hops note. Mm -hmm. um, you see that Korean pine on the, on the label? We really wanted the beer to have that aromatic, that pine tree aromatic. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and and in the past, you know, sometimes it's been towards spice cake or, or um, you know, really intense spicy aromas, um, herbaceous, that kind of thing. This year we were focused on pine. Yeah. We were focused specifically on Christmas trees. Cool. Like, let's make Christmas ale smell like a Christmas tree again. Mm -hmm. That was, that was the idea behind this particular one. And we took out, and the last couple of years, it, it had also got big roasty malts in it, which I really liked, but this year was a departure from that. Yeah. It's, it's, more, crisp, it's more of that is, mahogany yeah, brown. Yeah. Um, I feel like, like it's going to age super well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and it's very balanced, too. It's not like in your face Christmas tree. It's a very, you know, yeah, malt-driven, We actually went back to beer. dry hopping, too. And so there's there's a little more hops in it this year. It seems like and not just yeah. not just the other things. There's there, You know, you have to have some other things. There has mm -hmm. to be that, hmm, what is that spice? Where does that come from? <laughs> and uh, we actually did some toasting of spices ourselves this year, yeah. too. Which we bought a wok. That's hey. awesome. <laughs> and, and we macerate, and we macerate with a baseball bat. A wooden, That's very a impressive. wooden baseball bat. Yeah. Not a mortar and pestle, but, yeah. but plastic bat. bucket and wooden baseball bat. Because how much of, of this do you make every year? Um, this year, we're expecting to sell about 6,000 barrels of Christmas ale. Mm -hmm. 
which is about what we did last year. So it's it's pretty stable. Yeah. It's interesting. That's Christmas sale for us. How like, does it come out? <laughs> it comes out okay. November first. Okay. Although some people jump the gun. Okay. But we want it to come out November first. Okay. I mean, that that Christmas creep. Which Christmas is just before Halloween. Corner. It's a week from. Chris, yeah, it's a, a week, week from, from Thursday. Today, yeah. which this yeah. is going to play on Thursday, so it's a week from today. Oh. It'll well, be there you go. It'll yeah. And you will be able to find it out here, definitely. And we have it in in six packs on draft and in magnums. And the yeah, magnums the are the magnums are like <coughs> that's what it's a great size for sharing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and for parties. We had a Christmas for party last year for the New York City Homebrewers Guild here, and a guy brought a five uh, or six magnums. Yeah. They come six to a case. Yeah. They come six to a case. No, he brought oh, a vertical. Yeah. Yeah. Vertical, six mm -hmm. years. Oh, yeah. that's yeah. nice. The last six yeah. years, yeah. Ex excellent. That they were is, all they were all delicious they were too, all great but very different. Yeah, they 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 vary quite a bit. And that's that's part of the fun of it. That's the mystery of what's it gonna be like this year. But we're really happy with with this one. I mean, it, we've been we're always happy with it. I have to say, but, you know, you got to be proud of your beers. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And your kids, right? That's mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Proud of your they beers and your kids. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> and your dogs. We're in New York dogs. City. Dogs. Yeah, yeah. My dog. <laughs> we bought our dog a, a Halloween costume. I was just telling Tegan about. <laughs> We have a costume competition this we, Sunday we this at the brewery, awesome, so... <laughs> it's, a, um, it's really a simple costume, but it's hilarious because uh, he's like a mini poodle, and it's um, it's like a, a strap-on saddle with a little jockey. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. So, and, and he's like a spaz, and he runs all over the place, and the yeah. jockey's like... It's, it's pretty awesome. We saw a Dalmatian yesterday that, that kind of has like the spots that are kind of big enough to be kind of cow-like, mm -hmm. and uh, so the, the owners were thinking of taking some cardboard, put to drape over them say eat more chicken oh <laughs> yeah. perfect yeah. that's good yep so what's next for anger what's now that the, the christmas ale christmas is almost out what do you guys um, think about this time of year we are thinking about our winter release of our our limited release um and um we're think not fully announcing who it's with but it's a local san francisco um company and um it's it's a super it's it's going to be an ipa um a super tasty ipa and that's that's made with you know some local ingredients cool. and and uh and really kind of local san francisco focused um, awesome so and and can we find, you, will we be will able to find that on the East Coast as well, or is that? I think so. I think it's nationally available. It, it should be available. Like if you found San Francisco, if you can find San Francisco, um, which you can find, we have a beer finder online. Okay. Um, so if you go to anchorbrewing.com, there's a beer finder on there. What's that? Slash beer finder. Slash beer finder. Yeah, you, if, yeah. But if you go to anchorbrewing.com, you can find on the little buttons on the top. Yeah. Beer finder. Boom click and uh and you just put in your zip code and it and um the brands that you're looking for and boom san comes Fran right Psycho. up awesome san Francisco. and if yeah. people so i know to tour the actual brewery you guys book like months in advance see that's point. a fallacy that's not that's a, it's a myth that's yeah, so an let's urban talk about myth <laughs> urban myth it used to be the case okay. so for years like back in back when I when I toured the brewery, you had to book in advance. You could only call, and you could only call between like eight and five, 
and so, I mean, it was totally old school. Somebody yeah. write down your name and put you on yeah. and say, you know, okay, you want a Saturday? It's three months out. You know, or we didn't even do weekend tours. Actually, back in the day, it was just five days a week, two tours a day. Um, and then a few years back, we opened up weekend tours. We put it online. Um, and now we have three tours a day on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And so we opened up a lot more tours to accommodate the, the demand the, yep. of people wanting to come. And um, now, like midweek tours, you can get on next day. Awesome. If you're coming to San Francisco and you want to tour the brewery, you don't have to plan months in advance. You can book a tour in the middle of the week. On the weekend, it's still... Like, there's an 11 a.m. tour that I think you can get on with relatively short notice, but then the the one thirty in the afternoon and the 4 o'clock in the afternoon are booked pretty far in advance yeah. if you were right. looking for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, but those 11 a.m. tours, I like, I was there on Sunday, and there were, like, we have 30 spots in our tour, 35 spots in our tour, and there couldn't have been more than 25 people. Cool. And then you so. mentioned you built t- this pilot brewery, with, yeah. and that so has a tasting room as well? Yeah, and cool. that's open to the public seven days a week. Okay, awesome. So, and, and no reservation needed. It's just, it's, it's kind of an indoor-outdoor beer garden and warehouse space. I mean, similar, similar flow and vibe to what you have here cool. um, with open tables. Not one that, as cool as this, but the game. <laughs> I take a lot of pride the in this. Game <laughs> table yeah, the game table is awesome. Although, apparently, I screwed it up because uh, yeah, chess you know, versus checker, well, there's that. Yeah. But there's chess versus checker, I guess. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, the, the white square needs to be on the, uh, on the bottom right wow. to be a, I a have, chess board. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, I wouldn't have known that. But your backgammon is spot on? Is your backgammon? <laughs> I, I, I think, yeah, I think I love backgammon. I think that so one's that, fine. And you look, cool. you can play backgammon with bottle caps. That's right. Maybe Maybe we should, like, yeah, we need to make. That's what we should make, yeah. It's, yeah, that's so you have a lot of taproom exclusives in that in that one. Oh that, yeah, that so may we find are, their way to uh, yeah, and that's that's the I didn't tell the story of Fogbreaker completely, but I, I kind of alluded to it. But this is our first beer to come out of oh, like cool. to graduate from the pilot from the pilot awesome. program. So we first made it in the spring, and then it came out in September in a bottle as our latest release. So it's it's the first thing that was brewed there. We loved it, sold out right away, and we're like, okay, we got, we got to go. That's this cool. Is, this is the one. You know, we knew we wanted to bring out an IPA um, in the in the fall, and that was the one. Well, we are out of time, unfortunately, but this has been a true pleasure sitting down with you and tasting through these beers. Um, and on behalf and of hearing the stories, thanks yes. for paving the way. Yes. Of, uh, the whole anchor scene. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah, amazing. They, Yep. You gotta you gotta raise a glass to Fritz on that yeah. one. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. For sure. And he's still Fritz is <laughs> people ask this question. One last thing. People yeah. do ask about Fritz, how's he doing? He's doing great. Um, saw him less than a year ago, he came out of the brewery and um, we have a couple of people at the brewery are stu- still in regular contact with him. We actually have a that's brewery cool. historian. Oh yeah. Like nice. how many breweries? That's it. That's, that's pretty good. There's yeah. a goal for your brewery. Yeah. yeah. Have a historian someday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But, but anyway, um, yeah, raising the glass of Fritz and uh, this year's Christmas sale. Yeah. Thanks Cheers. again for... No, um, thank you. Yeah, yeah thanks for... Now let's see some of your beers. Yeah, all right. Cheers. For men about it. For men about it. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. 
For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.